0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is BELIEVE.
1: Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga podcast. I'm Manu Veed, and here's Stefan barry Biankowski. And Stefan, you're back. How's it going? Long time I'm, no see. I'm back. Back from my holiday. Long time no see.
0: Uh, yeah, I'm doing really well. Refreshed. Well-rested. Um, well, well-rested uh, well, well now, uh, because... <laughs> struggle to get a decent night's sleep to be perfectly honest with you in italy because um i'm as i often say to my wife i built for like an, an icy tundra in like the far east of europe that's kind of what my physiology is i'm the kind of guy who has to sleep with his foot out of the bed at night in the winter in scotland you know while my wife has got like six layers on the bed so the idea of trying to fall asleep in like thirty degree heat uh in Scott Italy it was like a it. struggle. But got home, now I had three or four nights of a good night's sleep, so now I feel well rested. <laughs> uh but yeah, that was a good holiday and I was listening along to the show, reading your reading your newsletters. Big thank you Barry, to everyone who helped out while I was away. Uh Seb, Matt, Mary, um, Kevin. Uh I'm not sure if Chris was on, but so it was nice to say thanks to him anyway. Uh and all the people who helped edit and stuff. So yeah. It was great to, it's great it's great to have new people on. I'm sure the listeners will be delighted to hear my dulcet tones uh, return to the airwaves. But uh no, it was good. How have you been?
1: Yeah, good. And I, I mean I wanna extend that as well. James Knowlton helped out with all the editing. Um, so yeah, it was great. And you know what? I think it made me realise how far this podcast has come over the last year and a bit, you know, with the newsletter and of course, the, the amount of people that now can jump on the show and help out or just contribute, I think it's been pretty impressive. So one of us is gone now. We, I think we have an easy four or five people that we can easily reach out on out to and ask if they, if they want to come on and they're all excellent contributors. So yeah, it's great. And like, personally, yeah, I've been great too. You know, Stefan, I thought I would have a nice few days uh, with nothing to do. Um, did the tour, did, did the the great uh, Vancouver Whistler bike ride on Saturday. Um, thought the Germany-Japan would be a non-event. The national team game, of course. Did really well on the bike ride, by the way. Finished top 100, which I'm really happy yeah. with. Congratulations. Um, yeah, that was, it was an awesome ride. Beautiful ride, too. And then, of course, when I did finally get to Whistler, I saw the result, and I realized that this week is not going to be quiet. <laughs> Good. Thank God, uh,
0: Germany has you in cycling, and it has the basketball team to fly the flag because the national team just, the football team just simply aren't up to the task right now.
1: Well, I, I posted that image yesterday, right? Because the the, the men's hockey team, or ice hockey to use the European term, um, won, won silver at the last World Championships, and then of course the men's basketball team. And this is this is a big accomplishment considering the amount of NBA talent that was at this tournament. Won, won the world championships for the first time in history so maybe yeah good thing there's other sports Germany can fall back to
0: yeah well do you know what <laughs> I, I was actually here for dinner last night with one of our colleagues who's German and I was discussing the the, the whole fiasco about Flick and how the decision was made uh, or the announcement was made during the basketball um, success and you know he's one of these again very typically German he's got huge interest in so many sports and he was like oh no Stefan, you don't understand how big a deal it is that we won this basketball title you know he's like you know i honestly feel like it's i i got more joy out of that than germany reaching the semi-finals of a world cup and i was like really why, why is that and he's like well because he's like well i've already seen germany win the world cup i was in brazil i went to all the games and I was, like, I was like you have no idea how how uniquely German that perspective is that you can say ah, I don't really care if Germany won another World Cup I've already seen them do it you know I was like as a Scot, I'm just delighted to be at a
1: tournament but yeah yeah, it is what it is yeah I, I we have tons of thoughts about all of this and I have actually thoughts about the basketball team and why they are a good lesson for what Germany's soccer team should be but we have to remember our sponsors so um, we'll discuss everything flick right after this break. This episode of the Game Pressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Football is back, and I mean American football, of course. And Bet Online is your number one information source for all your sports raging info with all the up to minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. Get the latest game mods, spreads, and totals from NFL. And college football at your fingertips with Bet Online's real-time updates on statistic news and odds from week one all the way to the college football playoff and Super Bowl. Bet Online gives you the access to the best football promotions and contests available anywhere online. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Remember to use the promo code Believe that is B L E A V Believe to receive your fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. So yeah, Hansi Flick gone, Stefan. Um, I mean, after I, I saw the 4-1 result, and I thought, okay, well, there's no way he's gonna going to survive this. Um, personally, I think he sh- the DFP should probably meet the cut after Qatar. Um, but you know, here we are. Uh, it's the the worst record by the German national team since 1985, when a certain Franz Beckenbauer was in charge. Um, of course. He almost won the World Cup the year after. I don't think Germany is anywhere near that, or would have been near that with Hansi Flick. Um, I have a ton of thoughts on this, and I'm sure you do too. But let's let's hand it over to our subscribers first. Um, the Substack subscribers, there's a chat for anyone who has subscribed, um, and we got an overwhelming response um, on in our forum. And I think you want to read out some of them first before we go ahead get into this. Yeah, I'm beginning to think these guys subscribe to the
0: Substack just so they can talk to each other in the forum because there's so much <laughs> going on here. I'll try and briefly read through some of them. Some people have yeah. left like their own like short essays, which people have gone back and forth responded to, so I'll leave them be since they're already talking. But anyway, here's uh, a quick run through. Alex says, uh, so you obviously say, what do you guys think of the sacking? Alex says, tough to say. Issues potentially, Hansi came in as the saviour and didn't produce however... This playing group also stopped producing under Love. Is that a manager or a player issue with the national team? Mark C says, We may need a non-German coach for the first time. These players have no clue how to to play together and need new direction. The German national team is the holy grail for Germans. The patient is terminal and we have been trying to fix him with hot chicken soup and some aspirin. Flick had to go. Let's bring in a super coach and rip this cancer out once and for all. Wow, very medical themed uh, approach from there. Uh, Craig M says, this is a matter of time before Ham to be honest. Hansey did a great job at Bayern in unusual circumstances. Uh, but there was always a lingering doubt for me about his character. Is there a bit of passive aggressiveness in there along with stubbornness? Question mark. I might be going I might be wrong, but contrast that with Brazos sacking and how he took it. We'll be intriguing to see where Hansi might go next and how that works out, wish him the best. Justin McHenry, with my favorite comment, I think says so how long till Dortmund punts Terzic for Flick? <laughs> yeah. um, Nate says in all seriousness, if Barn and Tuchel were to part ways during the season, I think Flick would be an interim coach for them to try to recapture the magic. I feel like Nate keeps—I I think it's Nate, maybe it isn't Nate—but he tries to shoehorn everything. Uh, he tries to shoehorn Barn sacking Tuchel into just about every discussion, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he goes on to say Flick wasn't working with the national team. They need a coach with no loyalty to players to come in and choose the best with no bias. Adam says it obviously wasn't working and showed no signs of a turnaround coming, so better to make the change now rather than wait, like they did with Loaf. Now those in charge need to do the hard work of figuring out why it didn't work, how much was Flick, how much were the players he chose versus why he was available, what was available in the pool. <clears throat> Harold says, don't, Germany don't have the players. Two German finalists for the Ballon d'Or. This is in 2014. Looks like France under-21s could beat the German national team. Flick wasn't a problem, but he wasn't the answer either. Uh, who else? Um, Robert Cervantes says, I'm perplexed. I don't know if there are any solutions on the horizon. I'm so sad to see Hansi go. Uh, he has earned a lot of my goodwill for 2020. And Brazo in my in my opinion, didn't conduct himself well when he pretty much forced handsy out in 2021. Team in general looks like they have no solutions when they have the ball. and It moves too slow. There isn't enough dynamic movement in the danger areas to cause havoc, nor do they counter-press to win the ball high up the, and catch opponents off-guards. Uh, there's a few back and forths with people. Uh, obviously, you discussed it as well, Mario. You were discussing things with people. And I think... Um, I think that's more of a canal says... Uh, I don't know if he'd take the job. However, I think Heinke's would be a great choice to unify the team with the German public, just because of the respect he has in the game. He always did a great job as caretaker at Bayern. We will discuss potential signings late. I think the second half of the show, manny, But that's that's kind of the kind of overall view. Like I said, there's a lot more in there. People having big discussions. Uh, which obviously I can't read out on the podcast because I'd be here for two hours. Uh, but if you're if you're a subscriber, you can obviously jump in and have your thoughts. And if you're not, obviously do take a moment to consider it because on top of the podcast and the subscriptions, I think I think people like discussing things and we obviously have the match day threads as well, which people enjoy. So, Anyway, let's get back to our thoughts and yeah, do you want to just jump straight in
1: then, Manu? Yeah, first sacking in DFB history. Um, so historic. Um, of course, there was a few other names that would have probably been sacked if they hadn't stepped down themselves. Uh, Eric Ribick comes to mind. Um, of course Um, in a spell that was possibly the only one that was worse than this Um, and you know the points per game average highlights this Eric Jobbik had a points per game average of 1.5 Hansi Flick had one of 1.75 which is the second worst in history Um, I think I I, I personally feel really sorry for Hansi Flick because I do think that he is fundamentally a good coach I think where this went wrong is that it wasn't a new voice for the players um, for the national team in general right because he was Joachim Löw's assistant and he wasn't going to come in there and change the philosophy that he helped bring in in the first place and so while I think he is a great coach and um, I think he's a good voice and I think the players like him I think he wasn't the right man for it Um, and I think there's a huge difference between being you know between not being a good coach and not being the right man, um, and I think you know we really need to differentiate the two here. Um, I think that's really important. But I do. I had a feeling already, and I, I think I tweeted this after the the last group of friendly games that I said, like, this has we have this has to end. You know, you need to put him out of his misery in some ways, and you know, we weren't really giving Flick any favors here either because this wasn't going to work. There, there was no indication that this was going to improve. And you can turn around a national team really quickly. Um, you know, when Eric Rivick left, Oli Fuller came in as an interims. And people have to remember that that time was possibly even worse than this. Um, Christoph Daum, of course, was supposed to be the manager of the national team long-term, but he got caught taking cocaine. <laughs> you know, he couldn't take the job. And people remember that, have to remember that we've been here before. We've been in places, the DFB has been in places that are worse than this. And I also remember that the team back then was way worse. And the results actually turned around very quickly um, because there was a form of pragmatism that comes in. And I think that's, I'm curious what you think of all of that. And we think we can, we, as you said, we're talking about coaching choices and so on later on. But my first takeaway from, I watched the press conference early on with Rudi Voller and Ilka Gundogan. And I actually thought Rudi Voller conducted himself very well. Um, I was actually very surprised by the press conference, to be honest with you. I think what needs to come next is a form of pragmatism um and that is this team needs to be turned into a team i saw the basketball team i'm not a basketball fan but i did watch the final i saw them win win the tournament um i watched these this the semi-final against us i watched the final against serbia and you know what stood out to me these guys were a team um and they were willing to yell at each other there was a lot of conflict within that team but they were willing to sort it out and produce on the court right and that is something that's really missing for me with this group of players. Um, there's so much talk about quality and yes, they're not France. They're not England, but they're certainly no worse than Argentina or Brazil. And that is really where I'm say, thinking like this, but this is not a team, Stefan. The sum of its parts is producing less than it should. And yes, there is reasons because there's certain positions missing, but there's also no pragmatism in place to solve the problem. And that's, I think, really what I want to see from whoever comes in next. Just be pragmatic. You know, make sure they don't get scored on in silly situations. And if they have to win the majority of the games, one-nil, so be it. Who cares? Um, And I think that's really what needs to come back. This team needs to go back to the fundamentals. Uh Yeah, in more ways than one, if you want to kind of, bring in the DFB in that
0: and the manner in which they've really struggled to kind of attract interest or, you know, goodwill from football fans in Germany in general. You know, it feels like, I know know this is a very different discussion, so I'll just briefly say it, but you definitely get the impression that the feeling towards the national team is just entirely different from what your average match-going football fan in Germany feels towards their club you know it feels it feels far more corporate it feels far more you know sanitized feels i don't i don't know if that's because they're just kind of obviously training uh, the tour in the country and there's not really any momentum behind it if it's, i mean yeah of course performance if a team's playing terribly then they'll obviously always struggle for um you know support but i, don't, I mean a game a, a game at Wolfsburg, for example, like, it's, it's, it, it, who's, I mean, with all the respect of Wolfsburg, I don't want to be mean to the, the town of Wolfsburg. I've been there, it's a funky place, but, um, it's not the kind of place you go if you're trying to get support back amongst you, uh, amongst the team. But anyway, I thought the interesting thing you mentioned, the word that I really narrowed in on was pragmatism. And I think that's a really important one to bear in mind here because, you know, we all thought when Hansi Flick was brought in that it was the perfect fit, to some extent, because you know he was always hankering for the job. He was never fully committed to Bar Munich, and um, you know, considering that there wasn't a huge list of potential appointments after Yogi Love, it seemed like a right I- the right idea. But now it feels like. You know, and obviously hindsight, twenty twenty, it feels like he was just a further extension of Love's tenure at the, uh, 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 in, in, with the national team. And actually, as I point out in my newsletter, um, you know, you can almost draw a straight line between, you know, uh, Hansi Flick to Yogi Love to Jurgen Klinsmann, and that's a you know nineteen year span where the national team has been. Not only coached and you know team picked and the tactics drawn and the and the training me- methods uh, arranged but also just the whole manner in which the German national team has conducted itself the way that the players are trained the way that the youth teams are um, you know developed all of that has just been basically entirely controlled by um, you know one man after the other over the course of 19 years and um, who have basically the exact same kind of ethos. You know, you know, Hansi Flake was Yogi Love's right-hand man. Yogi Love was Jürgen Klinsmann's right-hand man. And that means that not a lot has actually changed over the last 20 years. And I think that goes some... Yeah, or nothing at all. And I think that goes some way to kind of explaining why there is this kind of malaise in the team. Because, you know, if you're someone like Josiah Kevig, for example, who I think is probably a good player to illustrate the issues in this team right now, you're basically working under someone who isn't going to change, hasn't really changed anything. Or you, I mean, since he's been in the national team, nothing's really changed. I mean, there's obviously been minor changes between love and Klinsmann, and maybe between love and Hansi Flick, but they've all been basically part of the furniture for 20 years now. So why, why would there be? Why, why would we expect any kind of huge, you know? you know, as, you know, we, as as Raphael Horikstein's book would say, Dash Reboot or something, that, that what was needed was that, again, after Love left but obviously that's not what we got under Hansi Flick and I think that's probably the crucial part here um, and I think that probably goes some way to explaining why Germany have been such a mess right now. It feels to me like a kind of perfect storm because on the one hand you've obviously got uh, a coach coming in who's basically just a successor to the previous one uh, in terms of tactics, in terms of system, in terms of the way he coaches. So there's no shake-up there. Um, I think the other issue as well is that he came in at a time when he had to very quickly implement new changes, even if he wanted, whether he wanted to or not is up for debate, but he had to. And I do think the fact that Germany haven't got any meaningful games leading up to this competition has been a huge hindrance for them. You can even actually go back, because I remember looking through this on Sunday evening when I was kind of looking through his, his, his record as a German national team. You can even go back to that World Cup qualifying campaign that he had. And with all the respect to the teams in that group, they're all minnows. So, you know, Germany didn't even really have any meaningful games in there. So then when you add that to the fact that all they've kind of got going into this kind of, uh, leading up to the tournament next year is just kind of, again, meaningless friendlies. It goes to show that I mean I don't know how many games he's in charge of maybe 24 or something at least half of those were just completely meaningless games and I know that seems silly but anyone who obviously goes to watch the football team and especially goes to watch them in preseason friendlies will know that it's near enough impossible to get players galvanised to get them to show any incentive in these friendly matches um, and I also think conversely the only kind of way that you can get yourself galvanised in a friendly match is if you're playing a bigger team so that's why the likes of you know Colombia Poland Japan when they come up against Germany in a friendly match they've got something to play for they've got a point to prove they have to try and beat Germany uh, you know they can work through their tactics because they're playing a team that's going to try and impose themselves but for Germany they're just kind of going to go through the motions and I do think that plays a large part into why the team has been so tepid and so poor and and, and really struggling Um and then I think the third thing is also just the fact that there's just personnel issues in this team that you just can't overlook, you know. I think historically, especially if we want to go back to that kind of Yogi Loaf team that won the World Cup, Germany have always relied on Bayern Munich to kind of be the kind of skeleton of their squad, you know. And that team under Love was able to kind of rely on a strong Dortmund team as well. And when you brought them together, they formed a really great team, um... I don't think it's a coincidence that the problems in this Germany team are mirrored in that Bayern Munich side in the sense that, you know, Bayern right now do not have a solid defence midfielder. So, you know, Logie Lowe is having to turn to Emery Chan or Leon Goretzka and Joshua Kimmig to try and find a sort of midfield duo. And he's struggling the exact same way that Thomas Tuchel is struggling to kind of square that circle. And I think the other issue as well is the fullback positions. Bayern Munich don't have any strong German fullbacks. So Germany don't have any strong German fullbacks, um, and actually, if you look through like Hansi Flick's last five or six games, um, not only has he failed to start the same backline twice in a row over the course of his entire tenure, which I think is a remarkable stat, Um, but you look at the fullbacks he's been using. You know, whereas Marius Wolf, Yosha uh, um, who was I thought dreadful against Japan. Nico Schlotterbeck at left back. I think it was quite telling that for two of the goals against Japan, one was a player skipping by Nico Schlotterbeck on the wing who had no idea what he was doing that far out. Uh, And another one was Yosha Kimmich standing watching a player tap the ball at the back post who he was supposed to be marking. I think, you know, I think it's sometimes quite literal. The problems are literally right there staring you in the face when you watch these games in the sense that, you know, so, I mean, you know, the, the, the discussion about quality and whether Germany have enough good players and stuff is just something that no one's ever going to get to the bottom of because it's, it's a highly subjective thing. But I think the problem is that Germany have problems in key positions. You know, they've got the two fullback positions. Uh, I don't think they have a strong enough defensive midfielder. And then you can even look at that number nine position, which, you know, we're both very sympathetic towards Kai Havertz. I think he's a great player, but that's not really working out right now either. And... When you add that all to the fact that Hansi Flick had no meaningful games to try and forge solutions to these problems, I think that's what's led to this kind of huge issue and led to him ultimately losing his job.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the, the question of quality, right, and whether there's players missing in, in certain key positions. Um, I think if Joshua Kimmich wants to be a leader in this team, um and the coach tells him, "We need, look, we need you at right back." Then he needs to show that he's a leader and then perform in that role that he can certainly play in at a high level, possibly the highest level. And he's shown that in the past. I remember a national team games against Spain, where he, where he was a world class right back. Um, Philip Lahm, when he was told that he had to go back to play fullback at the World Cup in 2014, did it? He did his job. Didn't like it still did his job as a captain should and helped win his nation win a World Cup I kind of miss that from certain players in this group that they step up and take the leadership role that they themselves demand quite frequently and Joshua Kimmich is a good example here right um the other thing that I think is a big issue is that I wrote my newsletter on Pascal Gross right um who now at 32 finally got a sniff at the national team after being the most productive assist provider in the Premier League for five years, Stefan. Five years. You know, how is a player like that being overlooked so long? And that is, I think, something that this regime, going all the way back to the to the Leuven era, has been known for, that they not, didn't always nominate players based on their performances for their club teams. And I think the Union Berlin's president has has basically called out Flick um, this, this summer on this particular issue, right? Because there were, were certain Union Berlin players that performed very well for for Union. And, you know, we're talking about defensive midfield. Why is Rani Kadira not in that team yet? You know, we're, we're asking about why is there no number six in this team? Well, there is one that helped his team reach the Champions League. That is, that is ultimately, that's what we're talking about, right? We're talking about players that play in the Champions League. Um, we, I look at this side, and you, yes, this should be good. This should be good enough to beat Japan, even with this setup, right? What was the statistic? Ten out of the eleven starters were playing in Champions League, and the 11th player was Florian Wirtz. I mean, sorry, but that should be good enough. <laughs> that should be good enough, you know, when you play against a team and then you, you're talking about all the other issues. But for me, the two things, and you mentioned one of them is um, the players that are on the field have the quality, but what is missing is character and then there's the right chemistry, you know. um, What I mean by that is there is so much talent, but not enough will. They, what you're missing, okay, yeah, Emre Sean. He can show that, but he often, he needs someone to balance him out. I don't see that either because there is no strong character on this team. There is no Jude Bellingham in this team that can balance out Amrishan playing for Germany, right? Because a lot of these guys are super good with the ball. They're very talented with the ball. They have the technical abilities to to come up with solutions. But what they're lacking is someone who just, you know, in Germany, you say hammer on the table and say, this is how we're going to do it. And you need two or three guys in that team to do that. And I don't see it. I just don't see those players that can do it. And you do need that guy. And, you know, I look back at the 1996 team, for example, that won European championships. They had a player in their team called Dieter Isles, who was an absolute worker. You know, he was the water carrier for this team. And this was a team full of talented players, but they needed someone to do the dirty work. I, I don't see that guy in that team, right? And this, this is where you, your your comment, the number six, comes up. Um, and then, you know, and this is something that I do think Flick needs to be criticized for and same for Löw before him. I, for too long, someone like Pascal who shouldn't have had waited five years to be called up. He is an obvious solution to many issues in this team, and then they didn't even. He came off the bench. I would have started him, right? Um, why is Rani Kadira not in this team yet? Um, you made the point with Maxi Arnold many times, right? Why is he not in this team? These players all perform for their club lab, for their clubs at the very highest level, and they all are for one reason or another are not in this team. And I think that a few of these faces would help this team uh, yeah. enormously.
0: Yeah, and like that goes back to the point I was making about we've had basically the same dynasty of coaches, if you will. You know, it's just one emperor succeeding the next and Klinsmann, Love. It's also, and behind all three of them, there was Bierhoff, who was organizing the whole thing as well. So if you're, a, say, a Marc-Andre Ter Stegen and you've been waiting and waiting and waiting to replace Manuel Neuer, you can understand why he'd be so disheartened because he's, with every changing of the head coaches he knows that it, nothing's going to change because uh you know when yogi lov was klinsman's assistant manager he obviously worked very well with manuel neuer in training and when Hansi flick replaces yogi lov he obviously worked very well with manuel neuer so these coaches have these relationships with these players which carries on when they become when they succeed uh, their predecessor Um, and that works with Pascal Gross, you're absolutely right. Uh, Ter Stegen's, I think, probably the most obvious one, because I thought he was one of the few players that played very well against Japan. He's a player who's been waiting for his turn. And yeah, you're right, this Germany team is full of players who get into the team based on reputation, based on name more than anything else. Um, And that's kind of why, more than anything else, we need that kind of big shake-up. You know, there's obviously kind of already been the shake-up at the DFB itself. And there's, we're still kind of waiting to see where the, how the dust settles on that and whether there'll be big changes. Um, you know, I, I wrote a newsletter a few weeks uh, shortly after the World Cup, actually, on the changes that were already being implemented in terms of the youth development. Uh, but I think more than anything else, need to they need to bring in a manager or a head coach or a trainer or a Bundes trainer, whatever you want to call them, um, who can just wipe the slate clean with just about every player and can say with thought, you know, Thomas Muller, thanks for your service. But, you know, you might have been the last manager's best friend and you might have had a, some, you know, you might have had a great chemistry with him. But I need to pick the players based on merit. Now I have to, I have to move on from the Emery Chans, you know, the, maybe the Rudigers, whoever else, you know, it's there, there has to be a much bigger shakeup. And I think, crucially, with that shakeup, Need a head coach who can identify the problem positions in this team and compensate for them because, you know, you know we talk about France being a, a nation that is just full of talent and, you know, having six or seven players for every position. But even they had to use, you know, Olivier Giroud as a kind of pivot up front um, to win the World Cup. Even they needed, you know, to find a system that made Griezmann play through his skin for his country where he wasn't doing it for Barcelona. Uh, you can go back to the Spain side, it, it was very similar. They they made all sorts of compromises because they didn't have a proper number nine. And even a Germany team, obviously, with Hovedoes at left back. So that's what happens when you have a proper squad and a proper manager who knows and perhaps has the time to identify the problems and to find solutions to them. Part of me kind of feels like Hansi Flick was on a height into nothing because he he would he would have never had the the stretch of qualifying games to try and find solutions to his problems. He was obviously trying because you know, he was you don't pick a different backline every single game unless you are desperately trying to find solutions to those problems. I think the problem is that he was doing it in friendly matches in which, you know, you can stick a Yosha Kimmich at left back or slaughter Schlotterbe- back or a right back, slaughter back at left back. Antonio is gonna show up and probably not play a hundred percent because it's a friendly match. And, and, and that means you're really learning nothing from these players. You're learning nothing from these formations and tactics, which makes me kind of wonder what kind of head coach is willing to kind of parachute into this mess right now um, just because, you know, there's there's no other kind of qualifying games or stretch of matches to really fix these problems. But it's worth maybe talking about the, the, the main contenders and who we would maybe want for the job um, because it'd be interesting to see where we both lie on that, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, historically, Germany has always been bad at friendlies. Just look at their record. <laughs> They've never done well at those. And um, if people say, think this is different than in the past, then go on Transfermarkt and check out their Friendly record. It really isn't good. <laughs> it really isn't. Um, that, of course, is no excuse to lose 4-1 to Japan. That shouldn't have happened, especially, as you said, the way it defensively um, worked out in the end. Um, as for successors, I mean, there is one guy who really wants it. That's Louis van Gaal. Um And you know what? Don't say it. I don't hate it. I don't, don't hate it. Don't say it. it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't hate it. Is, okay, no, but here's why I don't hate it. Um, Louis van Gaal, I think, and I'm not saying it should be Louis van Gaal, but I'm th- saying it should be someone like him. Um, I have, I am very, I have some doubts about them going with Julian Nagelsmann and he is the favorite, right? Um, And that, that really worries me uh, for many reasons. First and foremost, I don't think he has the power to stand up to Rudi Völler, Hans-Joachim Watzke and whoever else is in the DFB committee. Camium is the German word for it. I guess committee is the English word. And tell them no. This is not what we're going to do. Um, I feel Louis van Hal has dealt with this sort of stuff at Bayern. Um I think he has he or someone like him has the power to say no, we're not going to do this. Um Louis van Hal is very pragmatic. He is um, He's from, he's a Catholic that grew up in Amsterdam, right? Which is, um, you know, is a certain character, brings a certain character that is not the typical Dutch character in some ways, you know, in the Netherlands. Um, I, I lived in Amsterdam, so I, I know the city and I know what kind of people it produces. And I think that he, w- he would bring that pragmatism that this club, this this national team needs, right? Um, and I think he would make decisions that would be unpopular, um, but he would be able to defend them. Um, I mean, he was, he guided uh, a Dutch national team into a World Cup, deep into a World Cup, without playing pretty football, right? Um, and I think that is a something that's a really tough sell in the Netherlands. Another character, another person that really came to mind for me is Matthias Sommer. Because Matthias Sommer is in many ways the German von Hall. Um, and he just gave a really good interview with the Deutsche Zeitung where he said, let's be honest here. We're, we're lying on the ground. We're at the lowest point we are. And he said this before these friendlies, you know. And he's on the decision making board as it is, anyways. I, mean, I think when Matthias Sommer says certain things in German football, people listen and they will do as he says. Because he has, in many ways, he's the modern Franz Beckenbauer, right? And that when Beckenbauer said something in the 90s or early 2000s, everyone perked up and listened and, and would act accordingly. Summer has that same power. Um, and so I think I would really, really like him. So in summary, I think a younger experimental coach is, coach is not necessarily what this team needs, Stefan. Yeah. Uh.
0: Yeah, well, I I definitely get where you're coming from. They definitely need someone who can kind of push back on the DFB, uh, who can push back on the kind of perceived wisdom of who should be playing, what system they should be playing, what formation they should be playing. Um, I'm I'm just not sure Louis Van Gaal offers the kind of long term solution, if you will, and. I guess you know a Dutch manager in charge of the German national team also comes with all sorts of uh, intriguing, uh, you know, side as, as issues. But I think that is I think I think the point you make though about what these guys need to bring to the to the to the table is really important. Matej Sammer's is also one who was mentioned to me as well, actually. Um, but I think his health issues, which he had some serious health issues a few years ago, and I think I think he's probably still. Uh, reserved from taking on like a more public role like that um, which I think is probably also why he was maybe not linked heavily with the Dortmund job as well in recent years but um, no, I think that's a similar because we're also talking about you know player uh, head coaches the other two kind of younger ones are you know Oliver Glasner and Julian Nagelsmann are the ones being heavy linked and I did speak to someone who's quite close to Nagelsmann about this last night and they said you know I honestly don't know. I honestly don't know whether... It's, it's a kind of coin toss as to whether he would take something like this because it really depends on his career path and what he wants to do going forward. And, look, we've talked about this before, you know, when he was linked with Chelsea um, and Tottenham, I think, after he left Bayern Munich. And, you know, regardless of what people said, I always said, look, he's not going to jump at a job like that. He's going to take his time. He's going to plan out his moves in the summer. Um and I think he is that kind of head coach. He's got a whole coaching team around him, which he takes with them. They all talk about what their ideas, what the five-year plan and things. Um, but, you know, having said that, I actually think he might be an ideal recruit because he's the kind of guy who would come in and say, I'm going to do things my way. You guys get out of the way. I'm going to try and make this team work. And, you know, that's kind of what he tries to do with Bayern. It didn't work because in a way he felt like that team was being coached by committee. Um, and I think it would only really work with the German national team if, you know, the likes of Rudy Voller and, you know, uh, Vatska and whoever else kind of kept their nose out of the business and just kind of let him, as the kids would say, let him cook, you know, and get on with it. Um but and I guess Oliver Glaser would probably be very similar. You know, he's a very he's a very committed Coach, when it comes to projects, he he has to do things his way. Um, you know, we saw that with why things kind of fell apart at Frankfurt in the in. But you know, these are two guys that if the DFB were brave enough, would say, "You guys can do what you, you can do what you want with the national team. You can you can you can you know you can call up who you want. You can play whatever formations you want. We won't have any say in these things." Um, which seems logical, but unfortunately, these things don't really go um, as straightforward as that. The only other one I would mention, which I thought was an interesting to share, was from Christian Cam at, at FAZ, the Frankfurter magazine, uh, newspaper, sorry, FAZ. And he actually mentioned Stefan Kuntz, who, of course, is currently the Turkish national team manager, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but, yeah, who, but perhaps more notably, uh, was a very successful German under-21 um, head coach. I, I did have a year, yeah, Won two um, on the €21 with the German national team in 2017 and 2021. And seems to be doing a decent job with Turkey, from what I can tell. Um, he would be an interesting one, I think, because he's obviously proved, you know, that he could work within the system. But whether he would be another kind of legacy candidate or one who would be more <laughs> orthodox, shall we say, um, is maybe an issue in itself because maybe people want something more drastic I don't know but I think the, I think the key issue here and and to kind of just echo what you said whether you mentioned Van Gaal or Sammer is they need to find someone who can basically stick the middle finger up to the DFB stick the middle finger up to the person who's signing his checks every month and said you know get out my way I'm going to drop Thomas Muller I'm going to drop Joscha Kemic if I have to uh, I'm not going to call Leon play on Goretzka because he's not playing well. Those kind of brave decisions and they need the DFB have to be able to step back from that and just let them get on with it, I suppose.
1: Yeah, Stefan Kunz was my choice after Joachim Löw stepped down um, because he guided, I think, the U21 to a Euro title in the second place. Mm. And that was a he team that was definitely... Two titles yeah. and one second place. Okay, so even better, right? And that yeah. was that those teams were definitely um, the talent on those teams was smaller than the results. Um, you know, he, he managed to put together teams that despite obvious weaknesses and we see these weaknesses now the next level, right. Still had success with them because he first and foremost was able to form teams. Um, and I think that is a really, really important part of being a national team coach in general. I look at, You already mentioned him, Didi Deschamps, right? At France, um, who is being heavily criticized at times by the press in France. And the reality is, Euro Euro final, World Cup, another World Cup final, which they probably should have won if half the team wasn't sick. Um, You know, the results speak for themselves. And he's often made decisions that were very, very unpopular and didn't always play the football that the the talent of his team could have played. And I think that a big part of being a national team coach. And I think that's maybe where Hansi Flick ultimately failed. He was... Hansi Flick was too focused on playing beautiful... the sort of beautiful football that won Bayern Munich at Champions League, right? You don't have time to necessarily implement that with the national team. Um, And that is, I think, where... You know, that brings me back to what I said earlier, and this is why like, I'm advocating for a pragmatic solution or a coach was was willing to have that steadfastness to sell that pragmatism to the DFB. If Germany wins the next five games 1-0, I'm happy. And most Germans would be happy with that. In fact, they would probably be rallying behind that more than they would behind any other results, right? Um I tell you what, if Germany goes out and loses only one two to France or even draws France, I tell everything will switch quickly, right? And that's and I think Föller, actually Föller, I, I don't think he should be the long term national team head coach, but I think he probably understands that better than anyone else because he's been there before and he's done that before, right? Um so they need to find someone who can do this long term. And I think that is 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 a, is a very difficult thing to do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right. And actually, you know, not to anglophile this whole thing or anglicise or whatever the word is, but actually when you were talking about Didier Deschamps, it made me think of Gareth Southgate's current situation at England as well, where he's a much maligned, uh, often criticised head coach because he plays careful defensive football, doesn't pick the flashiest players, doesn't, doesn't pick the players who are on form in the Premier League. He picks the players who fit his system. He picks the players who work within his system, that complement each other, that compromise, that compensate for the, the 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 positions that England are very good in. And, you know, you can say what you want about Gareth Southgate's style of football, but from an England perspective, historically, he's done a very good job in tournaments for England. And that's, you know, like the champs at France, that's the that's the nature of international football. Now you need a pragmatic head coach who can find solutions to the problems that your team have and I just think Hansi Flick didn't do that and perhaps no one can right now because Germany are only playing friendlies I, I do feel like that's a really important factor in all this but I guess we'll just have to wait and see who they appoint and how it works out
1: I mean it can work um Jürgen Klinsmann when we go back to just pre-2006 and we have to remember Germany was very much in the same situation as it is now right 2005 was not a pretty year in German football. And um, we expected disaster at the World Cup. And Jürgen Klinsmann called up players like Robert (laughs) Huth. Remember him? Um, You know, and that was a very pragmatic decision because he just needed a typical defender. He didn't care that this guy was not world class. He just needed someone who did what a defender needs to do. And it was very basic, but it worked. And like, Yeah, and then after that, of course, Germany built on that success at the World Cup where they finished third, overperformed properly, right? And built a team that then in 2010 and 2014 revolutionized football. The problem is the rest of the world figured out how to beat the system. And we're still playing a system that the rest of the world, everyone everyone knows how Germany plays. And in sport, not just in football, in sport in general, the moment you become predictable, you're done. You're done, because like it, then it becomes easy to play against you. And Germany is predictable. Well, as saw a that, and I find absolutely mind blowing, Stefan. Under flick, Germany produced twice as many chances as they would concede, yet they still have a losing record. And that's because everyone knows how Germany produces those chances. And if you if you narrow the space. If you don't allow them to, um, if you allow to enter them the box, but don't, you know, eliminate the players in the center, they're done, you know, then you just basically see them passing the ball around the box and create chances, uh, in quotation marks. Right. And I think that's also another reason why I'm actually a little hopeful about this change. Um, and the end of this era. Because I think whoever comes in next, the first task needs to be to stop being predictable. Hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That not just in terms of the style of play, but also the lineup, the players you pick, and stuff. So, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Obviously, this goes out just before the France game, so we'll you know we'll obviously have to see what happens there. But uh, yeah, it'd be interesting. It was nice of Germany to make sure the international break was entertaining enough. Thanks, Germany.
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, we got a historical sacking to talk about, the first in DFB history, um, and I didn't think we would have much to talk about today, to be honest, Stefan. As you said to me on the, on the on our WhatsApp chat, like, well, at least that's Monday's podcast sorted. So there you have it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I I'm honestly I'm really curious. I think this is a fascinating story um no matter what happens next i grew up as a german i'm german i grew up as a germany national team fan huge germany national team fan um but i actually think this might be a good thing at the end of the day um this will hurt and it will hurt a little longer um but you know what i actually think this was needed stefan
0: yeah it was definitely needed uh, and there's no doubt about it um but yeah we'll just i, I don't know i i We'll see what happens and who they appoint. I'm really intrigued to see who they appoint, Um, what kind of players. And, you know, obviously the DFB are obviously at this moment in time well aware that, you know, people are watching them closely to see what they do on and off the pitch to fix the problems of the last kind of 10 years. So they've got a lot of expectations on them right now. Um, They're not doing a great job of it. So, but, you know, look, that's that's these are always the interesting times it's you know it's it's always um i guess to borrow that old kind of journalism phrase if it bleeds it leads you know people are fascinated in chaos and disaster we we all slow down when there's a car crash we all want to know what's we all want to keep an extra eye on disaster so it's and more importantly scotland they're absolutely flying right now so i'm already guaranteed of good fun next week next summer so i've got nothing to worry about (laughs)
1: Yeah, well, maybe then we don't use another like catchphrase. There's always opportunity in crisis. Um, so we'll see how this goes. Um, we're, of course, going to cover the story. Your newsletter is on Germany. Um, I can, I'm can i not 100% sure yet how I'm going to tackle it, but my newsletter is definitely also on Germany um, this week. So um, keep your eyes open for that. And I guess like whatever else content we're going to have this week is going to Largely focus on, on the German national team because of what's going on. Um, with one exception, the previous show will be back because guess what? On Friday it's Bayern against Leverkusen, so you've got great football to look forward to, which is nice. Okay, Stefan, I think we can wrap this up. This show is always brought to you by Bet Online, and we'll be back soon with more content. Until then, auf Wiedersehen.
0: On the Wallin' drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallin' wherever you get your podcasts.